Hi, this is John, by the way, and today I'm looking at the book of Romans. Romans 1 through 6 is what the Come Follow Me manual says to study. And there's a resource that I've mentioned before. If you go to your library app on your phone, library, then adults, then young adults, then institute students, then New Testament student manual. And this New Testament student manual will give you, will go more in depth than the Come Follow Me manual. So it's really helpful if you want to go more into depth and it's written for Institute students. So great resource and it's right there on your phone. What I appreciated about this was the kind of the introduction to the book of Romans and on page 331 in that manual, and if you're using it on your phone, you may just have to scroll to find it, or if you get a PDF download, and sometimes they do updates, so I hope the pages are right. But there's a, a section that says, to whom was Romans written and why? And then it says, there seems to be at least three main reasons why Paul sent the epistle to the Romans. One, to prepare for his future arrival in Rome to clarify and defend his teachings, and to promote unity between Jewish and Gentile members of the church. And that seems to be one of the great challenges the early church had, was Jews who were trained in the law of Moses, or brought up in that, who are now coming into the law of the gospel, and then those who went straight to the law of the gospel, who were not acquainted with the Jewish customs or circumcision and things like that. And what a challenge to get all of those to meet together and become unified. And so you see those themes a lot of trying to get unity and everything in the church. And then I wanted to turn the page in the Religion 211-212, the New Testament Student Manual, and read something that Elder Bruce R. McConkie said. He said that the epistle to the Romans has been the source of more doctrinal misunderstanding, misinterpretation, and mischief than any other biblical book. <laughs> so, obviously, there's a lot to learn and to slow down as we read this. There's some really great JST excerpts as well, Joseph Smith translation. So, watch your footnotes as you're, as you're going through. Some things that I wanted to touch on first was... A verse that we use a lot, and maybe a, a place that you could jump off and really do some thinking, when Paul says in Romans 1.16, I know you've heard it before, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And as I was preparing this, I thought, how is the gospel embarrassing in the world's eyes? What commandments or teachings are potentially embarrassing? Is it embarrassing to tell people what we believe? And why is that embarrassing? And I think sometimes we are trying to be so careful, and perhaps we should just be more casual, comfortable, and matter-of-fact. On the Follow Him podcast, I mentioned something that somebody had texted to me. I suppose it was a Twitter feed or whatever those are. I don't have Twitter. But it showed these three uh, women on the Oklahoma women's softball team in a press conference. And 
you know, somebody asked about the win and what it meant to them. And it was so awesome to see these women just so easily just express, well, you know, this is great. And I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing. I can't remember what they said exactly. But yeah, this is great. We're happy for the win and everything. But really, my life is based on Jesus Christ and what he teaches. And that that puts everything into perspective. And they were just so confidently, calmly, just explaining that so easily. And I thought, wow, that is, that's how we, we need to be. Not to be ashamed of it, but to say, you know, this really helps me in my life. And this gives me a hope. It gives me peace. And I think sometimes we're worried about what the worst critics or worst enemies might say. But most people, I think, will respect that. And so if, you've, if you come across that Oklahoma women's softball team responding to that, it really inspired me about how easily we should be able to talk about it. Now, some of the things that I think the world might think are embarrassing is Paul's teachings about morality here, sexual cleanliness. It's interesting that when you look at the Ten Commandments and how many laws that we still, how many of the Ten Commandments we still use today as part of our law, it's still against the law to murder, to steal, to be dishonest, fraud, you know, deception, all of those. You go down the Ten Commandments, you can't just steal things. You can't steal intellectual property. There's copyright laws, take people's car, take their stuff. Hurting people, murdering people, all of those are still on the books. But what happened to thou shalt not commit adultery? It's not enforced. It seems to be celebrated. It seems to be anything goes. And for those of us who are trying to follow God, this is important for us to know what has God asked us to do with the bodies he gave us. For those, if it's not important to God, they might think that's crazy, but I don't think we have to be embarrassed. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. That means there's a discipline that I follow. I like that those words are connected, disciple and discipline. And this is how I have chosen to live, and I love it. It blesses me. And we don't have to be embarrassed about that. Now, when I was a kid in high school, my 16-year-old seminary teacher when I was a sophomore was Larry Gelwicks. Larry Gelwicks is known by many as the getaway guru on KSL radio or whatever radio station he's on. As he Columbus Travel, I think, is his company, and they take people all over. I think he probably learned the travel industry by taking the Highland Rugby team around. So if, if you know the movie Forever Strong, Larry Gelwicks was the coach. And what they don't tell you in the movie, they just show him as a rugby coach who was very interested in the lives of these young men. What they don't uh, show you in the movie is that Larry Gelwicks was a full-time seminary teacher who taught rugby afterwards. And one of the things I really appreciated about what, what when I think of him, I think of Brother Gelwicks was able to do. I just thought this was a brilliant way to condense for the strength of youth into one sentence. This was part of that movie. He didn't call it for the strength of youth for the rugby players. Some were members, some were not. But the way he said it was, I will never do anything that would embarrass 
myself, my family, my faith, or my team. That's, I equate that with, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I also want to live my life so that I'm not embarrassed. I don't want to embarrass myself, my family, my faith, or my team. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, our beliefs and our standards in particular, our moral standards, might be beat up or laughed at or scoffed at, but I love them. They're, they have saved me so much hurt, heartache, and sorrow. So I think that's a fun area to have a discussion about is how is the gospel embarrassing to the world? Is it embarrassing to believe in God? Is it embarrassing to believe that there's something after this, that there's a life after this? Well, when we talk about it calmly and confidently, like those Oklahoma so- women's softball team, not embarrassing. So anyway, that's one verse I like to get off on is Romans 1.16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Some other verses that I appreciated in Romans was Romans 3.23. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's important for our understanding that all of us need the atonement. One of the things that I've thought of in Jesus' parables when he speaks of the two sons. Son, go work in the field, and he says no, but later he repented and did. And the other one, go work in the field, and he says yes, but then he didn't go. And some people have asked the question, why isn't there a third son who says yes and then just does it? And maybe it's because all of us are one of those. All of us are either the first or second son. All of us have sinned. All of us need the atonement. And while some may say we feel like we're earning our way to heaven, that's one of the criticisms leveled at us, because we do have an emphasis on doing good things, not just knowing Christ, but, but being doers of the word, not hearers only. But that doesn't mean we're earning our salvation. It's impossible. We need grace and mercy. I think my favorite way to wrap my head around that idea is King Benjamin's question. Are we not all beggars? Yeah, all of us are in the position of a beggar when it comes to our salvation. None of us can say, hey, I earned it. you got to give this to me. We're all in the position of, please forgive me of my sins and please save us. So I like the way King Benjamin said that best. All the sin comes short of the glory of God. Romans 4, 7 is another verse I like. Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. The reason I like the word covered there is because of the word atonement comes from a kafar, K-A-P-H-A-R, and it can mean an embrace, but it can also mean to cover. And when we think about Adam and Eve being covered by coats of skins, which represent Christ, it's, it's a beautiful metaphor. If we go to lunch and you forget your money, I might say, oh, I'll cover you. And in the same way, Adam and Eve, before they were cast out of the Garden of Eden, they tried to cover themselves, but that wasn't good enough. So it says in the book of Moses and in the book of Genesis, I, the Lord God, made coats of skins and clothed them. 
So they were, they were covered before they left. And so I like this idea, your sins are covered, uh, which makes my mind race about those different meanings of the atonement. In, later on in, the, in Romans chapter 4, it speaks about Abraham. And it says in verse 20, He, Abraham, staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Um, the promise that Abraham received so late in life could have caused him to, to stagger with unbelief, because how's this going to happen? And then when Abraham does have a son, he's asked to sacrifice him, which must have been such a, a contradiction. I, how could he deal with that? Elder Jeffrey R. Holland gave a talk called An High Priest of Good Things to Come. This would have been October Conference of 1999. And he talked about this idea of staggering not at the promise of God. He said, to any who may be struggling, I say, hold on, keep trying. God loves you. Things will improve. Christ comes to you in his more excellent ministry with a future of better promises. He is your high priest of good things to come. I think of newly called missionaries leaving family and friends to face, on occasion, some rejection, some discouragement, and at least in the beginning, a moment or two of homesickness and perhaps a little fear. I think of young mothers and fathers who are faithfully having their families while still in school or just newly, newly out, trying to make ends meet even as they hope for a brighter financial future someday. I think of those who want to be married and aren't, those who desire to have children and cannot, those who have acquaintances but very few friends, those who are grieving over the death of a loved one or are themselves ill with disease. I think of those who suffer from sin, their own or someone else's, who need to know there is a way back and that happiness can be restored. I think of the disconsolate and downtrodden who feel life has passed them by or now wish that it would pass them by. To all of these and so many more, I say, cling to your faith, hold on to your hope, pray always and be believing. Indeed, as Paul wrote of Abraham, he against all hope believed in hope and staggered not through unbelief. He was strong in faith and was fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Then lastly, Elder Holland said, Some blessings come soon, some come late, and some don't come until heaven. But for those who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, they come. That always reminds me of Jesus so walking on the water in the fourth watch. He came. It just was at the very last minute, <laughs> which must have been frustrating. Now, the last thing that I wanted to mention is a couple of phrases that we use the kind of theological phrases, we don't use them that much, but justification and sanctification. And I just want to point you to a talk of Elder D. Todd Christofferson. This would be in your June 2001 Ensign. So it wasn't a conference talk. June 2001 Ensign, and it's called Justification and Sanctification. So let me just read some of the things that Elder... Christofferson said. Well, first of all, we've talked about this. The lesson manual talks about this. Be justified is to be pronounced clean, to be just before God. To be sanctified, though, is to be, to be changed and to be made holy. And maybe they all kind of come together. So this is Elder Christofferson in this June 2001 ensign. This personal persistence on the path of obedience is something different than achieving perfection in mortality. 
Perfection is not, as some suppose, a prerequisite for justification and sanctification. It is just the opposite. Justification being pardoned and sanctification being purified are the prerequisites for perfection. We only become perfect in Christ, not independently of Him. Thus, what is required of us in order to obtain mercy in the day of judgment is simple diligence. As the prophet Joseph Smith counseled from the dank prison of Liberty, Missouri, let us cheerfully do all things that lie in our power, and then may we stand still with the utmost assurance to see the salvation of God and for His arm to be revealed. So thank you, Elder Christofferson, giving us two words for justification and sanctification. Justification being pardoned, sanctification being purified. Well, that talk will be helpful as you continue your study of the book of Romans. I hope this has been helpful for you, and we'll talk to you next time. 